Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. Now, before we get on with today's episode, we're very excited to tell you that we're still sponsored by the brand new Eurovision exhibition based in the small town of Husavik in Iceland. Now, as you know, the town found fame in the story of Fire Saga, the Eurovision film released on Netflix back in 2020. And since then, fans from around the world have wanted to travel to Iceland to see the setting for the smash hit film. Now, if the stunning scenery in Iceland isn't enough to make you want to travel there, an exhibition has just opened in the town, showcasing the history of the Eurovision Song Contest, Iceland's participation, as well as some of the most memorable props and memorabilia from the film itself. Now, to find out more, including some behind-the-scenes pictures of the official opening that took place a couple of weeks ago, then make sure you check them out on Twitter. They're at Eurohusevik. But let's get on with the podcast. As you know, Lassandra always said, take it away. Hi, we are Dave Ogakamagnet, and you're listening to Eurotrip. I don't close any doors. I love Eurovision, I love Berlin Festival, and it will always be a part of me. That night, I found myself live on Russian state television for Russia's Song for Europe. I said to Joe, send BBC Teenage Life. Maybe two weeks later, I was at a press conference, and I was on Making Your Mind Up. Everyone was like, Eldar. Come, celebrate with us. The end of filming, they put honey on my face and I needed to be, you know, sexy with this honey on my face. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week, none other than, as I'm going to call her, the Queen of San Marino, Valentina Mineta. If Senate's listening, she is fuming. But yeah, we are so excited to have Valentina Mineta on the podcast this week. She has been to Eurovision not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in the last 10 years, James, and you found out all about it. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous how many times she's been to the Eurovision Song Contest, and she's tried a fifth time as well before her first ever participation, and we're so lucky to be hearing from her today. She doesn't do many interviews, you'll hear that from herself a little bit later on, and we talk about all sorts, including, of course, her love for the Eurovision fandom, where we'll hear a little bit more about this curious story. The first Eurovision fans came in my house, he didn't know, and it was crazy about it. You know, I was with my pyjama, guesting him, like, <laughs> you know, but are you willing to know that? <laughs> it's crazy. 
is crazy and then chatting and chatting, you know, so it's, it's good. Now I definitely want to hear a little bit more about that. But there is so much more because I've been very busy this week. Not one, but two people I've been chatting to to bring them on this very episode. The first is the journalist Emma Kelly because I was fascinated by the media reaction to the United Kingdom's news about how they will be progressing with their Eurovision planning for 2022. So we'll be chatting to her about that. And also... Dave Goodman from the European Broadcasting Union will give us an update on the organisation of Eurovision and also Junior Eurovision, just two months away. So we've got all that and more to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Here we are with another episode. It is Wednesday and it is a delight as ever to be with you. I feel like I say that every week, but I mean it every single week. And I'm talking personally to you. Yeah, that's right. Talking so personally to you, but I'm not quite sure what your name is, but I am still delighted that you're here. I'm here with James for the next little while, probably for about an hour by the time we wang on, because we've got so much to talk about this week. But it feels a little bit weird this week. It feels like the calm after the storm because last week was was a little bit nuts. We had not just the final list, of course, of countries that would be taking part in Eurovision in Turin, but we had the news about what the UK would be doing for 2022. And we had an incredible reaction to that on our social accounts, which we'll bring you in just a second. But almost as much of a reaction, James, from our chat, all about calendars. Yes, we did, didn't we? We kind of forget that we actually did the two podcasts last week because we got such a big reaction to, of course, the BBC special episode that we did last week. But we also had Joust on last week, which was incredible, and we got such a good reaction to that. But equally as much reaction about, as we're now calling, Calendar Watch, because I can't remember where it actually came from, Rob, but you started to talk about the Fizz's new calendar. And um, Stuart, you got in touch to say your podcasts are excellent as ever. Uh, regarding Calendar Watch, hope it's a regular feature in the run-up to New Year. I'm with James. I want an Albina 2022 calendar. Uh, and he's also said we should call it the Calendar Gander. If I said that right, that does sort of sound okay. Maybe Calendar Watch would probably just work better. I wonder whether Calendar Gander is better for Stuart, because I think Stuart might be Scottish. This makes me sound like I've done some sort of social media stalking, which naturally I have. I think he's Scottish, so maybe Calendar Gander in a Scottish accent sounds better than the way me and you can do it. Yeah, and I'm going to stop you right there. We know how bad any of your other accents are. You're not going to do another one. And also, this is difficult to say, but thank you, thank you Europe, as you called on Twitter, who said also, just caught up with this episode, and like to put on record that I would pay good money for a Gagna Magnet calendar. That's also very fun to say as well. I'd pay good money for it too as well. Yeah, I would. I would. Thank you, everybody, who got in touch on the calendars. Um, now we look back, honestly, no idea how it came up, other than I do remember when we were talking, I found that the Fizz's 2022 calendar uh, was on sale. I saw a tweet, which honestly I'm still excited about. I haven't yet ordered it as your Christmas present, but rest assured, I certainly will. Now, it goes without saying that the biggest thing that happened last week, the biggest thing that happened on our podcast last week, was that we were able to bring you, thanks to the wonderful Steve Holden from Radio 1, 
an extended interview with Ben Mawson, of course, the man from TAP Management, who is going to be responsible for the UK's Eurovision entry next year. You won't have heard it anywhere else. If you haven't heard it yet, make sure to check out that episode. It'll be the one just below this one in your podcast feed. But just to run through some of those that got in touch, Hannah said, such a great listen, found myself nodding along to everything the hosts that's us. And Ben was saying, hopefully this will get us out of the doldrums. Best quote, it's not as political as you think. Amen, says Hannah. Uh, Also, Laura said, well worth a listen this. Ben says he wants to take it more seriously, which is exactly what we need. And Tim Vision, he's he's big in the old Eurovision fandom, is old Tim Vision. He's always up to something or other Eurovision related. Uh, He tweeted us to say, this is worth a listen. Trying to be optimistic. And I really hope this is the push we need to get us out of our bad run. And that was just a handful of the comments we got. We were absolutely inundated. So if we haven't replied or if we haven't liked it or if we haven't retweeted your tweet, just rest assured we are so thankful for everyone who got in touch last week. We love to bring you interviews like that. We love to bring you special episodes of the podcast. And it's great, as always, when you get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at Eurotrip Podcast and on the email hello at EurotripPodcast.com. Now, one thing I definitely wanted to do this week was to have a bit of a chat about the media's response to the BBC's news from last week, because it's safe to say it was a bit mixed, and I'm now going to rant on the podcast, which I don't do very often, but you may have seen a tweet from me at the weekend where I quote tweeted basically a video that one of the biggest uh, radio stations in the UK put out, and there was somebody talking about Eurovision on there. And they said the line, if Dua Lipa can't win Eurovision for the UK, why should we bother? Maybe we should just give up. I mean, there's numerous factual inaccuracies with everything that was said there. But it just, I don't know, it it got me a little bit agitated. So I wanted to let that out somehow. I wanted to have a little bit of therapy on the podcast this week. And I did so with someone you've not heard from on the podcast before, but you may have seen them on Twitter. They are the journalist Emma Kelly. She's an entertainment journalist. She loves Eurovision. And she'd also been doing a bit of tweeting about the BBC's Eurovision news as well. So I thought, why not invite her on the podcast? Now, we'll get her thoughts on the media's coverage in just a second. But first, I wanted to start by getting her to list her Eurovision credentials. So, I mean, I'm Irish, so you kind of are grown up um, around the 90s. That was our thing. We were still amazing at Eurovision. So it was just a rite of passage that we watched it every year in my house. My mom would always have like Eurovision parties. We would have like ice cream floats and we'd have sweets and it would be so great. And yeah, when I then um, sort of grew up, I just stayed with Eurovision um, and I would force everybody to watch it in my house and would wait until like after the show to go out if I had to obviously that would never happen because it would go on till all hours and uh, yeah then I became an entertainment journalist and got to write about it in my career which was an absolute dream and, and I got to go to Eurovision luckily um, in 2019 to cover it for Metro.co.uk which was an absolute dream come true being involved in it and being there and seeing everything happen as it happened was just incredible so yeah I think that's after changing me now and I'm just watching it from home isn't good enough anymore (laughs) it just it's just not the same is it it's just not the same at all thank you so much for having a chat to us this week now 
given your history with Eurovision, given your role, of course, as you've said there as a, an entertainment journalist, I was fascinated to have a chat to you about the news that we saw last week, of course, about the United Kingdom and their direction with Eurovision, but also about the media coverage of that news as well, which we'll get onto in just a little while. But first up, I just want your thoughts. Obviously, you, you are you're an Irish person, but you care, I'm sure, deeply about how the UK do at the Eurovision Song Contest. So, what what was deeply. your what are, what are your thoughts on what we saw last week? I think that I'm cautiously optimistic. I would say about the news. I think that I think that there's a lot of confusion about why the UK doesn't do well, and obviously, there's a lot of stuff like, oh, it's all political. We've left the EU, so they don't like us anymore. Eurovision fans know that's never the case. I mean, we see people who are politically hated at some points doing really, really well in the contest. It never really matters. But I think that we just, they just haven't had the right song um, for a while. And they haven't been bad songs. I don't think that Embers was a bad song whatsoever, but it tends to be very middle of the road, sort of inoffensive, which we know is a bit of a death sentence at Eurovision because you're never going to remember it. So I think that this step, getting in people who really know what does well on the charts and is remembered is a good thing. My sort of other side, the slightly more pessimistic side, thinks you can't just send a Dua Lipa like, cover version to Eurovision. Like we saw with Greece last year, it did well. Like that kind of like disco pop kind of sound, like 80s vibe. But we've already seen that. So if they are planning on doing the sort of Geolipa thing because Geolipa has had such success for TAP, then I don't think that's really going to pay off as well. But I mean, they obviously know what they're doing and they have the really good people involved. So it's a good step and it shows that the UK is taking it seriously and the BBC is taking it seriously, which is a good step in the right direction. Now, what have you made, obviously, as an entertainment journalist yourself, what have you made of the way that especially the UK press have been reporting the news? Do you think it's been well received? Do you think there's still scepticism, a bit of both? Where do you where do you sit with that? I I mean, I think that um, in the sort of mainstream, like not the sort of Eurovision focused media, it always just tends to be scepticism, I think all of the coverage was oh but isn't it just the politics like there is still that thing that will not go away even though every talking head that has brought on these programs is like no that's not what it is it's still that's the idea because if you're not engaging with it throughout the year and you're only tuning in for the grand final lot even tuning in for the semis you're just going to see the UK bottom and be like oh they left the EU that's the reason and so it is it's not covered with the sort of um, seriousness, I suppose, um, that other countries will go in on something. And as well, I think that knowing who's behind the song, to a lot of people, it doesn't really, like, it, it doesn't um, jump out as sort of big news until they hear the song. When the song comes out, then they might start caring. But the average person isn't going to know what TAP does or isn't going to know why that's a good thing or a bad thing or whatever, the same way that getting BMG in, nobody really knew what that was either. So I think that it's probably, it's good that's been covered. I think that's the main sort of thing. And at least maybe it's showing a bit more interest in it this year, um, which we can hope. I think that's the whole thing that the UK really needs to get into its head as like a wider public is that the rest of Europe 
gives their full attention and their like full respect to the contest. And if the UK is not going to do that, then they're not going to have a hope. So, do you think actually? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say there's, there's lazy journalism out there, but I saw, for example, one of the biggest radio stations yesterday, they posted a clip of somebody talking about the news that we saw last week. And they said, well, if Dua Lipa can't win Eurovision for the UK, then who can? Maybe we should just leave. And it just made me like angry because it's like, it's not Dua Lipa. Like, just do your research. <laughs> you know, do you think yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of cool to be a bit lazy with it and, and go down that route when it comes to Eurovision? Yeah, 100%. I think that's just, if you're doing badly, you're going to knock it. And the more you knock it, the less you want to put more effort into it the vicious circle, because then you start complaining then again when you lose. So it's it's difficult, and or like you don't win. And yeah, I think that there's a sort of idea that, particularly in the UK, that, that if you send someone famous, they'll do well. Like that's not the case at all. And we know that, like from not just the UK sending sort of established artists, other countries sending established artists, it doesn't mean that they're going to do well. As well, a lot of people, if they do just tune in, they just think it is still the gimmicks and everything. So they think, oh, that's what will do well. Or send a, like, a really famous person, send Dua Lipa and she'll win. Like, it's not going to happen. And also Dua Lipa's not going to do it. So <laughs> we need to get away from that. This is the Euro trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast, warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. A really lovely chat with Emma that. I think we will definitely get her back on between now and Turin. Lovely to hear from her. And, of course, that was last week's news. But now, it's time for this. What a segue that was. Honestly, you never fail to deliver on the smooth segues here on the podcast. But it is, isn't it? It's time for this week's news. And I'm going to caveat this before I say anything, actually, Rob. I haven't really put much effort into this this week because <laughs> I was I was a little bit rushed joining you on the podcast recording this week. So apologies. It's very sparse. I'm looking forward to, and hopefully we can hear this, audibly uh you struggling through your very haphazard notes which you have made in approximately the last 30 seconds so oh, whether or not you can read your own handwriting we'll find out i'm very excited about it so uh, without further ado i reckon you should probably crack on oh dear this is gonna be disastrous normally i, I write you some you know some decent notes about everything that's going on this week yeah, it's very yeah. different. So let's let's try and do this anyway. Uh, last week we started to hear some of the rumored artists who are taking part in Melfest 2022. We've had some more names since then. Both Clara Hammerstrom and Alvaro Estrella will be competing next year. That'll be the third time in a row for both of those artists. The selection process for Israel, which is the X Factor, starts this coming Friday. They're going to be using that competition to select their their artist for Eurovision 2022. The deadline for, as I think it's called, Benidorm Fest. Don't uh, don't quote me on that. But Spain's selection process 
for Eurovision next year. The deadline to submit songs into that is also this Friday. Ireland have already, in the last week, closed their submissions window for artists and songs to be representing the nation next year. And a quick little line on Junior Eurovision. We are now up to 13 artists announced, 10 songs announced out of the 19. And it's the countries uh, that I'm going to list here who, in my opinion, need to pull a finger out. Armenia, Bulgaria, Georgia, Italy, Kazakhstan. We've not heard a single word from them yet about a song or an artist. So all eyes on you guys. That was almost you channeling a teacher and <laughs> listing all of the students that haven't done their homework. How did, how did that feel? Was it powerful? It was, but no wonder teachers act like that sometimes, because honestly, the power I feel now, honestly, over Rye and whatever the other broadcasters are called. Are the rest B- of the lads. <laughs> BNT, is that another one? Or is that wrong? I don't know. But pull your fingers out. Get your homework in. We're desperate to see it. I feel like if you're going to call broadcasters that, you should probably know what they're called to start with. That doesn't, that doesn't leave you in a particularly strong position. It's like a supply teacher when they don't know your name. Come on, Roberto. Is that what you're called? I normally get Lily as my surname, not oh, Lily. Yeah. I normally, normally get a Lily. Anyway, I, I feel like we've already had enough therapy for me on this week's podcast without going into that a little bit more. <sighs> anyway, we've talked about Junior Eurovision just there, because of course the contest is just a couple of months away. But with all of the Eurovision news we've had, with Junior Eurovision so close now, I thought who better to go to than the European Broadcasting Union themselves. That's right. Not Martin Osterdahl, because you know what? We don't need Martin. We don't want Martin on the podcast yet. We want him next year. But we've got another favourite man at the European Broadcasting Union. It is their communications lead, Dave Goodman. He's the man in the know for everything that's going on with those two contests. So I wanted to get an update from him as to where we stand with Junior Eurovision and with the Eurovision Song Contest. So here he is, just telling me how exciting it is that we're where we're at now with Turin 2022. We've got the list of participating countries and we know where we're going to be heading next May. Well, it's great that we've yeah, got those big announcements out of the way because, of course, uh, we, we always anticipate at the beginning of the planning for the next year, having that host city and the excitement always comes from that. That's the first sort of step on the road to the following year's contest. So it's great that we're in a city like Turin and Torino, who really are so enthusiastic about having Eurovision. Um, and they're a great host city in many ways, not least because they've had the Olympic Games, of course, the Winter Olympics. So they're very much experienced in organizing an event of the scale of Eurovision. And then to have 41 countries, 41 delegations, which of course is, is higher than this year. And we've got Armenia coming back and Montenegro returning as well. Uh, that's fantastic as well. It's really good to know that uh, post-COVID, that next year's contest uh, is, uh, is over 40 countries again. And uh, we, we couldn't be happier with the enthusiasm from all the members. And they're really enthusiastic about coming to Turin next year as well. Of course, the announcement of the host city this year, finding out that the Eurovision was going to be in Turin, came a little bit later than we have come to expect from previous announcements when it came to the host city. Was that down to purely, of course, Italy being a country that has so many potential host cities? Of course, you know, it was you were almost sport for choice when it came to where Eurovision could be going next year. That certainly was a factor this year. I mean, we haven't been in a big five country since 2011, of course. And, he, and then there was also quite a stiff competition between uh, cities to host Eurovision. And I think 
it's been in the, the recent years more obvious where we could go and, and which cities have the capabilities to host this sort of event. Whereas in Italy, as you say, there were 17 cities and regions bidding and that made the process um, much harder for Rye to, to find uh, you know, the perfect host city. And there were other factors as well that take into account, but definitely it was important for us to take the time to make sure that we found ourselves in the right place, the right venue that has the right facilities and the right uh, infrastructure to, to host this event and I think it was it was worth the wait and obviously we we saw a great deal of anticipation online host city when trending of course uh, on Twitter and all our other platforms and we were very much aware of that and of course you know there is a great anticipation and it's great to have that it's great to have that enthusiasm um, but but every year is different in the world of the Eurovision Song Contest and every country we visit is different and so things to, uh, you know, work to different schedules and take uh, different amounts of time. And we saw that this year particularly. Now, Dave, it's very rare that we are lucky enough to have the opportunity to speak to yourself, of course. We've had Martin Osterdahl on the podcast in the past to get that real idea of how much planning goes into it and the work that the EBU put on to get such huge events off the ground. Can you just tell us how much liaison goes on between yourselves at the European Broadcasting Union, yourself in your role, of course, and the host broadcaster when it goes into planning, you know, when we do find out these pieces of information, like the list of who's, which countries are taking part and where Eurovision is going to be and, and just what that communication is like? Well, it's pretty much daily interaction actually with the host broadcaster from the moment they win we are really with them all the way because we're the ones at the EBU that follow this through every year of course and and we have to support the host broadcaster it's really important because of course you know that if you win Eurovision you're going to host it but it's not until you are confronted with that task that it becomes apparent what an enormous enormous body of work this is to complete within 12 months in fact less than 12 months if you think about it at that the arena has to be ready uh, to move into at the beginning uh, of april next year so really if you win at the end of may you're, you're looking at you know 10 months really to put on a major international tv show and a huge event and so we are there every step of the way and we do have conversations and meetings with the host broadcaster this year rye every day and i'm in touch with my uh, colleagues at rye those who are working in the communications area all the time and certainly with the executive producers martin the executive supervisor and nadia burkhardt who's the uh, supervisor of event always in constant conversation constant dialogue and really it's very important that we are because we're the ones that take that knowledge from one city one broadcaster to the next city and it's it's essential that we're there to, to guide that process and 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 very much you know it's a welcomed but um, it's a welcome collaboration because you know we're we're putting this show on together the EBU is co-producing this with all its members but it's the host broadcaster that has to put the event on and uh, we're we're grateful that we're we can work with such great people every year from different broadcasters and help share that knowledge around Europe. I want to talk to you about Junior Eurovision very quickly before we finish, of course, because we're coming up to the, the contest in Paris in less than two months' time now. Not that I want to put the panic in you, Dave, that there's not that long to, to wait before Junior Eurovision. Uh, I'm intrigued, and I know our listeners will be intrigued. What's next when it comes to Eurovision? We've got the host city. We've got the countries that are taking part. What can we expect next, do you think? Or is that that's more down to Ryan, and then they're going to communicate that to you or vice versa? 
So normally what comes next is the, the theme of the, the show, because that's really what informs the production and the show itself. So the slogan, the theme art, uh, really what the Italians are going to concentrate on as, as the sort of uh, narrative of the show is, is what uh, will come next. And we're going to be in Torino in a few weeks' time, meeting with the reference group, meeting with with Rye and learning a lot more about that. And certainly there's been a lot of uh, movement in that area. And hopefully in the next few weeks and months, that's what we can you know, announce. Uh, and then that will be built on in terms of uh, planning for the, for the show ne next year. And, and a few months after that, we'll know who's uh, presenting the, the shows. So yeah, there's very much a sort of a, a timeline, but obviously, as I've said, in different countries, things are done differently. And so, this year there might be some changes to that and uh, and we'll we'll see but we are you know really working on on that at the moment with with rye and uh, making sure that uh, you know we keep from the communications perspective we keep the interest up and the anticipation and the, the enthusiasm for the event uh, well fed in the coming months well, we're very excited to find out what's next. Of course, when it comes to the Eurovision family of events, we know what's next. We know that Junior Eurovision is just a couple of months away. How is planning and preparations going for the show in Paris? Because, you know, we're getting very close to seeing that show on our television screens. Yeah, and this year it's a month later than normal because France Television, who won the contest and who are hosting this year, really wanted to do a special show. Now they're hosting their first Eurovision, actually their first Eurovision song contest that they're hosting um, for over 40 years. Obviously they, they did Eurovision uh, Young Dancers in the meantime. So they really wanted to make this special. And so moving the show to Christmas means it's going to have a very seasonal theme. And that is, you know, really exciting. And we've been in Paris recently learning about the plans, looking at the venue, La Seine Musicale, which is in, in the River Seine in, in Paris. And it's going to be such a special show. Uh, and it's going to be very different. Of course, very different from last year when, of course, everything was was uh, pre-recorded and uh, none of the artists could come, regrettably, because of the pandemic, to Warsaw. So to have that show back again as, it, as we know it, it's truly going to be a celebration. And to have so many countries return as well, to have 19. But definitely you're going to see an extremely polished, very French, very Parisian show. And I think that's great because to move around Europe with these shows, with the Eurovision Song Contest and Junior Eurovision, you want to get a flavour of the country that you're in. And we're really going to see that in the production that France Television are putting together. Dave, it's fantastic. And we're really grateful to get yourself, to get Martin, to, to really get that view from the EBU, get an insight on the podcast every time you uh, are able to come on and have a chat to us. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. And, and good luck for everything that's to come. No worries. You're very welcome and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. This is the Eurotrip. Always great to hear from the European Broadcasting Union and I'm going to say it to you. I don't want you to think that I just said it to Dave to try and, you know, be a teacher's pet if we're staying with the school theme as we apparently are this week. But it's always brilliant to get the European Broadcasting Union on the podcast and we are very appreciative that they are willing to have a chat to us because they don't talk to many people about what's going on because understandably they're very busy but wonderful to have Dave Goodman from the European Broadcasting Union on the podcast this week just giving us a bit of an update as to where we stand given that Eurovision of course we are heading towards May next year and also Junior Eurovision 
which is a damn sight closer. You are, of course, listening to the Euro Trip. And as you know by now, for the next few weeks, we are delighted to be supported by our friends at the brand new Eurovision exhibition based in Husavik in Iceland. And the really exciting thing is, the exhibition is now open. Icelandic Eurovision star Greta Salome did the honours a couple of weeks ago and the doors are open if you want to check out their incredible rooms dedicated to all things Iceland at Eurovision and of course that brilliant exhibit full of props from the Netflix Fire Saga movie. Now every week we are bringing you badly but we're doing it an Icelandic word which might help you if you decide to head out there to see the Eurovision exhibition in Husavik. Now, it was me last week, I brought you the word kvaldmatur, which means dinner, which is a very important word in my life. Uh, James, it's you this week. It is, and I've got an easier one. Well, an easier one to pronounce anyway, I'm not saying it's going to be any easier to guess. So the word this week for you to guess is bless. Bless. How are we spelling bless? Just B-L-E-S? B-L-E-S-S? B-L-E-S-S, just how you'd spell bless. But in Iceland, bless means a type of Icelandic fox. (laughs) Specifically a fox that just lives in Iceland. (laughs) Well, I've been trying to choose my words that would be actually helpful to the trip. So, understandably, you're going to be incorrect. But this is actually a word that I don't think you'd really want to say when you're on your trip. But you will have to say it at some point. It means goodbye. That's quite nice. I quite like that. It's quite cute. I mean, you would be sad, like you said, when you were saying bless, but it's quite cute, isn't it? Bless. Off you go. Oh, that's nice. But I don't want to think about the end of our trip to Iceland. We haven't even been yet. Yeah, it will be useful. That word will definitely be useful if you do decide to make the trip over there to Iceland. Now, don't forget, the exhibition is still growing and they still want your contributions as well. If you've got any pictures, by the way, of you with a Eurovision artist, maybe, meeting a former act, any of your favourite Eurovision memories, then they want you to send them over on email. This is eurovision at husavik.com. I promise this is an official email. It's not just James trying to get pictures of you for some, I don't know, strange reason, because he's a strange little fella. No, this is a real email address. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this. Eurovision at husavik.com. And for more info and pictures showing you what to expect from the exhibit nothing to do with James, make sure you follow them on Twitter, at Eurohusevic. But for now, probably best, back to the podcast. This is the Eurotrip. That's right, this is the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. Thanks for getting this far through the podcast, but we've still got another guest to come. It's a big, juicy podcast this week, isn't it? It's a big, juicy episode. It's like a big BLT sandwich. We've got <laughs> Valentina as the bacon... We've got Emma as the lettuce and Dave Goodman as the tomato and me and you, Rob, as those two lovely white slices of bread, packing it all together. Can I be the mayo? Well, no, because we need two slices of bread. I can't you can be, two be slices both of bread. No, you can be both slices of bread. Okay, I'll be two slices of bread. You can be the mayo. As we learned last week, you hate moisture in a sandwich. I'm not going to get into this. I had a conversation with somebody else about butter in a sandwich and they were firmly on my side. It does not belong on bread. Was it yourself in a mirror? (laughs) Oh, poor old Valentina Minata. She's been introduced far more professionally than this in her career. (laughs) 
Oh dear, shall we hear from Valentina? Because, as I think I mentioned a little bit earlier on, and as you'll hear from her herself, she does not do interviews very regularly at all. She keeps herself to herself. She is very private nowadays. So we are so lucky to be hearing from her on the podcast this week. And we're going to hear about absolutely everything. As we know, she's represented San Marino four times at the contest. More times than you've had butter in a sandwich, arguably. (laughs) I'd probably agree with that, actually. And uh, she's a true fan favourite as well, isn't she? Every time we talk about San Marino, her name springs to mind. And she's got such a love for Eurovision fans, especially. And you'll hear about a very intriguing way uh, that she manages to spend time with fans at her own house. We'll hear about that a little bit later on. Entirely legally, we must add, you made that sound suspicious. <laughs> You're wasting too much time here. This is a long enough episode as it is. But shall we, before we hear about any of that, shall we first of all find out about when Valentina first started to watch the Eurovision Song Contest? So I have to be honest, I start following the Eurovision uh, the first time was in 2010, 2011, uh, not watching, by the way, I didn't know what this is, what this is it, but uh, I just received a chance to be part of a contest in my country to take part of Eurovision. But unfortunately, my first time, me audio, they got the position. They got the, uh, they were the, the band selected to represent San Marino. But this is, was my first approach to Eurovision business. And then, uh, I don't know, so for a, a kind of reasons, so maybe destiny or something in 2012, uh, maybe you know the story. <laughs> with Facebook and my last minute call. So taking my trolley and going to Munich to record everything in two days and then changing everything again because Facebook is not okay. Then social network song is better. So it it was a crazy time, but amazing. So for me, it was just a chance to be conscious about uh, what my talent can, uh, in, in what my talent can be involved. Let's talk about 2012 in a second. I want to know what you thought about Eurovision when you first started to hear about it. So when you tried the first time uh, before 2012, what were your thoughts on the contest? What were, you, what were you thinking was going on when you first started to find out about the Eurovision Song Contest? I, I just knew that this is a big show. This is a big, uh, a big kind of festival. And uh, to be honest, a little bit far away from my kind of uh, music philosophy or music kind of style music. Uh, so I'm coming from acid jazz and the kind of music is not properly maybe taking part so much to the contest. So even though in the, uh, then later, we, we, we had a chance to listen to artists uh, pushing in that direction. But uh, before 2012, for me, Eurovision was just, uh, I don't know what it is. So I was not so much following uh, this kind of competition. Uh, in fact, as is a competition, I was never interested 
to be part of contest and competition because music for me was always food, the food of my soul, the food of my my passion, you know. So I, I was already a professional singer, but uh, in my in my comfort zone, you know, like there's more audience. Uh, but by the way, what is the comfort zone? <laughs> we can chat about it because, you know, sometimes it's, it's worse convincing a small audience than a big one. Uh, so <laughs> we can speak about many things, but this is it. So, Valentina, what made you or who persuaded you to take part in 2012? Like you said there, music wasn't a contest for you. It wasn't like a competition. So, so why did you get involved in 2012? So uh, I received the, this call. So we need an artist for this contest. You know what we are talking about because previously, previously I was trying to take part with my own songs. So they, they, the artist, uh, which was already signed to a contract, so this artist just decided to give up, gave up. And they were so in a rush to find another person. So in San Marino, as you know, we are not so much people. We are not so much crazy singers. So I did uh, many things previously in my country. So get involved in public concerts and stuff. They just consider us who we are going to call. So let's try with Valentina Moneta. Maybe she say yes, but uh, they gave me two hours to decide if I want to do this or if not. But at the end of the day, not sleeping all the night, so I listening and listening to the song, I just convinced myself that this melody is so jazzy, and uh, this song required my abilities as a singer to sing it. So I said to myself, Vale, let's do it. Vale, <laughs> just do it because uh, I needed to step out of my country. And what a roller coaster that must have been that journey when you get asked to take part, you've got two hours to decide, you've got to fly to Germany to record the song, then they tell you you can't sing the word Facebook and you've got to change it again. I mean, oh, what a journey that is before you've even gone to the contest. But at the end of the day, it was everything very, very amazing and beautiful. I, I, I have to be honest, I didn't feel so much stressed because... Previously, so I did so many jobs in my life. So be in a situation like that for me was not so stressful at the end of the day. It was just an amazing stress, like the positive kind of stress, like this adrenaline and doing what I am, doing what I like fully 24-7. And uh, I was waiting for. So I was just happy to work hard. Tell us about being in Azerbaijan, because like you said, you come from this tiny country, 
San Marino that most people probably couldn't find on a map. And then you find yourself in Azerbaijan, a country you probably never thought you'd be in, ever. Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) What was that experience like? Uh, Speaking about myself, so the impact was like... (laughs) <laughs> like the first time, I just remember the first time when I, my first rehearsal, going on stage. So I, I felt like I'm going to have a break after like that. So, but breathing and uh, watching all my past and all sacrifice I did, this is, was my power, you know, just encourage myself. That, uh, ballet, this is your time. So you work so hard to be here. And finally, life gives you a chance to understand that you can do, you can do that. You know, I was just a shy girl when I was a teenager, a bit uncomfortable, not believing so much in myself, uh, always dependent mentally about many things. So, and this is for me was just, ballet. You can confirm to yourself that you can do something amazing. Not never mind. It doesn't matter what what the result will be. That not, doesn't matter that, uh, which positions are are you going. So the important thing is you are here now with your voice and with your uh, skills, your talent, and uh, I keep courage like that. So after 2012, when did the broadcaster ask you to take part in 2013? How quickly did they invite you back? Uh, almost immediately. So the day after we just uh, done the semifinal and we saw the results, they, they, they just cast me immediately. So you are confirmed to the next year. We want to still working with you and we believe that we can do something amazing then. So this is also emotional because Ralph says, uh, I didn't know you, now I know you. And I say, sorry, because you need a, a kind of song. And then, you know, with Chrysalide, they wrote Chrysalide. They just, uh, so that Ralph started loving me, uh, in, in professionally loving me, and he started working with Mauro, Mauro Balestri, to write Chrysalide, which is, I think, one of the best song I did in my life. And then we didn't give up also in 2013, and we, still, we were still working for maybe. So in 2013, you finish 11th in the semi-final, so an improvement on 2012. Again, how quickly did the broadcaster say, Valentina, we want you back again for 2014? Immediately. <laughs> really? Really, yeah. So year by year, uh, the contract was already prepared at, at some point. So they they just decided to believe in me. And I said, thank you. I can say thank you for the rest of my life till 2014, the final of 2014. Then 2017 is another business. So <laughs> let's let's talk about 2017 shortly. But 2014, like you said already, you made it to the final on your third try. You finally get to the grand final. And this must have been special, this one, because, again, you write the song with Ralph Siegel and we know how big he is. 
Uh, and he joined you on the stage as well, on the piano to perform that one. That must have been such a special moment. It was part of the contract. So I said, Ralph, if you want me again, <laughs> you have to be on stage or part of the show. So uh, it was not so easy because Ralph uh, is a, is a, he like to be no the the boss underground boss you know they don't want to show he don't want to show himself so much like but uh, yeah it was uh, amazing it was amazing yeah amazing experience can you remember how you felt in the semi final in 2014 when they were reading out the 10 countries who were going to qualify country number 6 is and then the moment came and they shouted san, san marino, marino. Welcome to Saturday's Grand Final. Can you remember how you felt? <laughs> I have no words every time. I can't watch videos because I'm going to cry all the time. So I felt like more conscious in respecting the previous participations. When you are on stage and you are for the third time trying to get a point. So my third time was more focusing. I need to get the final, but like, you know, it was just a development of my personality, my consciousness as an artist. So then in 2015, of course, we didn't see you. And I think so many people were disappointed that you weren't representing San Marino because they were... They were so they were so but, used to seeing you. Uh, I was just part of a delegation, like a tourist. If you remember, I was in the Conchita Wars back when she was presenting. So I was just part of a delegation, enjoying the competition as a part of a delegation, giving advice to these kids. And so did they not? Uh, did they not invite you to take part in 2015? No, no. After 2014. Uh, I, uh, I think uh, it was necessary also, not just change the, the soup and change. So it's necessary to change and give a chance to different kind of production, be part of. And uh, also, I can't think uh, just about Eurovision all the time. <laughs> but anyway, I will be forever part of Eurovision in, in my heart. And you definitely were still involved in Eurovision because now we talk about 2017. Where did that come from? Tell us the story about how you ended up representing San Marino again, this time with Jimmy Wilson. Yeah, so it was, it was good. So just uh, for me, it was a game this time. So not thinking about anything uh, listening to the song, I was having fun to sing it, and Ralph said, Let's do it again. But uh, personally, I didn't have any expectation, so I was just enjoying uh, work together again with Ralph Siegel and also meet this amazing singer. So we, we were just like a brother and sister on stage, uh, just having fun. Maybe not, um, in my side, like taking even so seriously. <laughs> like I was professional, of course, but it was just a game for me. And um, 
anyway the position you know the position so i was not taking care so much about the position It's interesting that you describe 2017 as like a game because I think you on stage with Jimmy Wilson that year, it looked like you were having so much fun. It looked like yeah. the most enjoyable performance you did of the four at Eurovision. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree fully. But uh, saying it's game is not a bad thing. It's, it's like I was playing music as I was a child. Uh, I did with that with my brother when I was a child and, and uh, I just felt Jimmy as my brother, just coming back to the childhood. So I was just a child on stage, uh, roughly like speaking about uh, something uh, that everybody know, that everybody needs. And every, especially at this time, these days, we need to come back to dance <laughs> somehow. And uh, I was just enjoying so much so with all my energy, the competition, even not being perfect, you know. So notice my voice was maybe not so perfect or I will never be perfect, but I was just enjoying dancing without any, without any care if this is going to be last position or just best uh, positions ever. I, I don't know. I'm always enjoying singing. Now, we've got to try and find out what you've been doing for the last four years because we've not seen you at the contest since 2017. Have you, have you been asked to take part again or have you been focusing yeah. on other projects or what have I you been up to? My project, uh, one of my best projects is to find my inner peace with my family, with my, in my private life and focus in my people relationship differently of course i'm still singing with different kind of musicians i don't have actually uh one just one project i have different kind of i'm involved in different kind of projects i'm writing i'm producing i'm doing things i'm doing demo and i'm using my voice i'm working with my voice in different kind of ways so maybe I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about my private, private life. I'm not so social. So maybe I'm just tired about something and I just want to focus to peace and living my life in a peaceful zone without any media attention so much. You know, I don't want to be involved in so many media attention and sort of thing. Uh, just because I'm in a, my reflect, reflection, you know, so I'm reflecting, I'm just trying to understand, I'm still making music, I'm still working, I'm just still, I'm, I'm painting, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm planting trees, I'm planting flowers, I'm, so I'm doing many things, I'm polyedric, and, uh, you know, and for now it's good like that, so, and I, I want to let the people know that I'm not the one deciding if I want to come back 
So there's a there's people decided for it and it's right like that. So because the, the people say, please, okay, come back, but it's not dependent on me, just that, of course. Well, we're so thankful that you took the time out to chat to us today anyway, given you don't do a lot of media, you don't do a lot of interviews. So we're very thankful for that. Yeah, one time's in a row. Now, let me be back. So, <laughs> and also when it's time, and when so, when close to close to May, so when we will be May, I will be a full Eurovision fan, excited as everyone. So Eurovision, I told you, I will be present and Eurovision fans, uh, I will love Eurovision fans forever. Speaking about Eurovision fans, you've got to tell us about how some fans come to your house. Please explain <laughs> that a little bit more for us. Uh, there's nothing to explain. They just book the room and they come. <laughs> No, so uh, today, so I started design being business in 2016, by the way. But let me try. So I want to get more people around the world in my house. My, my apartment is too big for me. I'm always in the corner with my microphone or most of the time outside singing around Italy. And uh, so my house is so sad that she needs a kind of you know and I need to still meeting people from around the world so I just missed so much and uh, it's amazing so many people now uh, know that I do this business especially our fans because they check by themselves and you know Valentina is doing that so uh, the first Eurovision fans uh, came in my house he didn't know and it was crazy about it. You know, I was with my pyjama, guesting him, like, <laughs> you know, but are you willing to know that? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And then chatting and chatting, you know, so it's, it's good. And they are so respectful most of the time. So my house is open to Eurovision fans. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry if now loads of people now try and book your house out again, but maybe you'd enjoy it. Maybe you would enjoy loads of other Eurovision fans coming along to stay. But I'm going to choose if they, anyway, they can't book straight away. So I have to agree. So I can <laughs> care about it. You said it's not in your hands if you come back to Eurovision. It's, of course, the broadcaster has to say yes or invite you maybe. Uh, how do you feel at the moment? Would you come back if they asked? Would you enter a song? How do you feel about it right now? Right now, I don't think uh, it's a it's it's a moment to me to for me to consider um, any uh, of these requests. So even the things are going to be different now, and also they are going to have a contest. By the way, just this year, they asked me, they says, uh, you can be part of the contest. Uh, so I was expecting, to be honest, if I can say, to be part of a jury, not of the contest, because it doesn't make any sense for me, you know, take part of a contest to, to, to be part of Eurovision again. Of course, um, I have to be considered equally like... But uh, I'm not feeling like, you know, so after so much time I represented somebody in television, some contest, I'm not feel the one needs to 
to a contest or a previous selection. So I would like a special treatment, let me say. I'm never a diva, but uh, I ask to the delegation if they want me as a judge and be part of a, a selecting artist. Uh, I can say yes, but for now, I'm out. I'm just supporting what they do, but uh, for now, I'm not going to take uh, part of a pre-selection to be part of Eurovision Song Contest and is not in my plan be part of Eurovision Song Contest as an artist. At least for the next maybe two or three years, then I told you, I'm going to be back with the song Never Is Too Late. <laughs> <laughs> well, Valentina, really, yeah. really appreciate your time chatting to us today. No doubt you're going to get loads more Eurovision fans coming round to stay at your apartment, but... What a pleasure that'll be for you. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Valentina, thanks so much for chatting. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Eurotrip. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to all Eurovision fans. Ciao. So lovely to hear James, you and Valentina. Like two detectives of a Sardinian drama series. I don't know. That's that's how in my head James and Valentina, that's what they do. If James and Valentina were a double act, they have their own BBC4 show set in Sardinia where they solve crimes. Honestly, I don't know where I'm going with that. But what I do know is I very much enjoyed that interview. I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as I did. And unfortunately for you, actually, it was very disappointing that we weren't joined by somebody else in that chat because just as we hit the record button, uh, one of those Eurovision fan Airbnb guests arrived at the door. So he pressed the doorbell, Valentina had to go off and get it. But where her camera was, I could see the mirror that was also pointing at the door. So I could see the person arrive and then she was she was shouting from the front door, sorry, sorry, I'll not be a moment. And then the guest was like, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so managed to actually see one of them uh, taking uh, taking residence at Shea Moneta. Were you that Eurovision fan at Eurotrip podcast on Twitter and Instagram or send us an email, hello at eurotrippodcast.com. So great to have Valentina on the podcast. That was fascinating. Thoroughly, thoroughly interesting. And we have got another huge guest on next week's podcast. I was going to say more details to come. That's not true. Just keep an eye out on our socials and you find out who it is. But it is very much worth your time. It certainly is. And as is this, it's what we do to wrap up every single episode of the podcast. It's the one second song. I'll keep this nice and brief. Every week we play each other the very first second of a Eurovision song and we take it in turns to guess the artist, the title, the year it took part in the contest and the country it represented. My favourite part of all of that was that it sounded like you had been sort of wound up like a toy car and then you were <laughs> let to go. That was very, very enjoyable. The one second song this week, then, it is me to guess, isn't it? It is you who have provided the one second song. Am I allowed to have a listen? Let's do it. So for the first time this week, here's this week's one second song. Now, I know that, but I can't quite place it. And I'm now thinking that I know that because it's a song that isn't anything to do with Eurovision. Oh, dear. So you've got an idea, but you could be wildly off. Yeah, basically that. I'm about to say an artist in my head that very much has never been anywhere near. <laughs> oh, well, 
I'll give you another second, quite literally, just one second to think about it, because here it is just one more time. I feel like I like know what it is, but like I obviously don't also know what it is. And the minute you play it, I am going to know what it is, which is the worst part of this feature, and that's why it's so frustrating. Oh, I'm just going to guess Portugal 2014. And I can't remember who it was, so I'm going to try and get two points, but I'm definitely not going to. Well, okay, I'm just going to put you out your misery now. I don't think there's going to be much misery anyway, but you are definitely wrong. Portugal 2014, how could you forget? Wasn't that Susie? Ah, of course. That's, yeah, that, that. Definitely not that, although I think I know what you're trying to say. But yeah, that was um, that was Susie in 2014, so you're definitely wrong. In fact, we are heading back all the way to Eurovision 1997. You massive fool. <laughs> so <laughs> there was definitely no way you were going to get this. This was, in fact, Norway, and they were represented that year by Tor Endresen. With the song San Francisco. Let's take a listen. Now comes the bit where I have to try and guess the tenuous reason why you chose this song for the one second song. Uh, Listeners, to let you into another little trade secret, uh, James actually gave this one second song as his one second song for last week's podcast before I reminded him that it was in fact my turn. So that actually means that this song, I can only assume, has no tenuous link to this week's podcast whatsoever. And means we have to try and remember what was on the show last week. Is that correct? That is indeed correct. It was a bit of a muddle up last week. So if you try and figure out what we did last week, you might be able to figure out what's going on here. Is it as simple as Joust represented Norway and then 20 years previously, as did the song that we've just heard? Oh, well, actually... Sort of, but I put a lot more thought into this actually, and you'll be you will be aghast at how much work I'd put into this. So, Joust represented Norway, and he was talking about how he did some songwriting with Alexander Reback, who also represented Norway. Now, when Alexander came back in 2018, he was the 1,500th song to be formed at the contest. Now, if we Half that number, we end up with the number 750. And the 750th entry in the Eurovision Song Contest is Tor Endressen with San Francisco. Wow. I can only applaud you. And I bet you were absolutely devastated last week when you realised it was mine and not yours after all that hard work. Boy, was I disappointed. But it just meant I could do it this week and it would just have no relevance and it would make me look like a bit of a smart arse. And it did exactly that. If anything, this week's episode has just proved what a disorganised little fella you are. (laughs) The Eurovision News, honestly, you're all over the shop. You turned up about two minutes before we were supposed to record this. And you gave us this week's one-second song last week. 
I am a busy man, let's not forget that. I've got a lot going on and uh, you should just be pleased that I turned up at least anyway. But what a ride it's been this last three and a half hours or however long this podcast has been. <laughs> what a ride indeed. This may even have been longer than Eurovision 2019. Who knows? <laughs> have a little look in the duration at the bottom. But as I said last week, I can guarantee whatever you were doing at the start of this podcast, you've had long enough to finish it by now. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, James, I think I said to you over message this week, you're a man with fingers in many pies, so I am indeed delighted that you found the time to join me on the podcast this week. It's been lovely to be here, and we will, of course, return once again next Wednesday. And I think we can guarantee it'll be next Wednesday, because I'm trying to think of what could happen between now and next Wednesday... And I think we're good, I reckon. I think we're good. I think we can safely say there will be no bonuses between now and next week. We, yeah, we're not making any promises, though. If a meteorite hits the venue that we're planning to go to in 2022, then maybe, I mean, I don't know what we could talk about there. But anyway, what we're trying to say is, (laughs) let's hope we're just back next Wednesday. So uh, until then, in the meantime, don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Eurotrip Podcast and on the email hello at EurotripPodcast.com. And also make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, currently preparing my email to NASA in case that meteorite does indeed strike the venue in Turin. It's goodbye. Is tea planned? Uh, tea is planned. I'll probably have to make it, though. Oh. Uh, chicken satay. <laughs> Very adventurous. Or as you might say, chicken satay. I was going to say satay. I didn't want to pick you up there, but it's definitely chicken satay. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.